Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. You're out of dirt, Matt. I am? What, what, what comes after the dirt? And then you hit rock bottom. <laughs> Boom. Tonight's episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 208, The Things We Bury, is brought to you by uh, Agent Coulson's Hawaiian Barter Service. When you're in paradise, don't trade twice. I thought you were going to go with maybe the uh, the tie or something, but that, that that's a good one, Pete. I I welcome them to our our family of sponsorship. This is catch you up on what went down. We begin in our teaser. Austria, 1945, some digging, and the idea that people have heard the same stories as the Hydra people. Um, And, of course, Dr. Whitehall is there, seeing who is able to touch the Diviner. And, quickly, this Asian man is turned into dust. And it worked quickly apparently not based on gender. So, Matt, as we know, discovery requires experimentation. What I love about that scene, first of all, it requires, um, for those of us that are in the know and paying attention, it, it so perhaps it doesn't require, but it is aided by the knowledge that this is, of course, taking place uh, prior to his capture um, and so on and so forth. So we just kind of have a flashback prior to some of the other uh, you know, Nazi Hydra, Agent Carter, things that we've seen. Uh, I like to the presentation of of this teaser act in terms of you're not entirely clear what's going on. Obviously, Whitehall is nefarious and up to no good, but um, he's kind of so congenial. And of course, we're not buying it as the audience, but then it's, you know, having the guy touch it. Boom. This is just, you know, a Nazi-esque experiment. Bring in the next person, and presumably they've been doing this all day, all week, to see, you know, who, uh, you know, who gets turned to ash, along with the help of lab coat doctor, who of course has the Hitler mustache. Well, when we're coming on an age of miracles, these types of uh, experiments are necessary. Ooh, ouch! Yeah, I guess. Come to think of it, I guess those experiments do continue to the present day in the MCU, as shown uh, as shown by that first view of uh, Marvel's own Wonder Twins, if you will. So we have uh, a woman whose face is pressed to the Diviner. It instead uh, lights up. And uh, this idea of being special is floated again. Of course, uh, surgery is demanded and we need to figure out what makes her tick and i think it's at that point where um well there's that line uh, the problem will take time to solve which of course brings us to the modern day uh but before that i think you know being a, a bit unclear as to her story and being a bit unclear as to where this fits into the chronology that's kind of a loose thread that's left hanging for uh for later scenes where it gets uh, gets resolved so Whitehall uh, has had this for decades, this information. He's chewing his, uh, his Hydra scientific division out. And uh, 
the doctor who uh, is the definition of insanity he talks well, about. Pete, speaking of that. Yeah. Doctor? Doctor Hayes. And you said it too. That's perfect. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, um, Kyle McLaughlin's doctor talks about how the <laughs> definition of insanity, of course, is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Hydra is apparently on edge because of uh, Mr. Bakshi's disappearance. We know he, of course, is a guest of S.H.I.E.L.D. in Vault D. Um, and the idea that the Diviner is a weapon is small-minded, of course. The doctor refers to it as a key. Uh, that it only kills as a byproduct to protect itself. It's a fascinating scene, one that really moves the story football forward. Pete, I had to wonder, and I, I mean this in a in a fairly serious way, not kind of as a as a flippant comment. Do you think that, uh, as you call him, Kyle McLaughlin's doctor, um, when he has that quote about um, you know doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, a quote? Uh, of course, widely attributed to Einstein. Do you think that he forgoes referencing the name of Einstein to this <laughs> rather, and I say rather, of course, understating it, this rather, uh, you know, anti-Jewish uh, guy in the visage of Dr. Whitehall? I think maybe that's the elephant in the room when you're writing it um, and probably better left unattributed. I think that works for the character just in terms of, you know, the doctor's motives and, and which side he's really on, you know, so on and so forth. So just a little uh, a little deepening uh, view there of the dialogue there. Act one reveals that we are off to Hawaii with Coulson's team. Uh, May is separate from everyone. And that may be something that in two weeks time we have a break from uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. next week uh, might be revealed. I am still grumbling both mentally and verbally over that notion that we have another break. I mean, it was supposed to be nonstop. But that said, uh, I liked the fact that we had uh, the cloaked bus, albeit without uh, its Wonder Woman, uh, May, of course, back in HQ, which nothing against May, nothing against Ming-Na Wen, it was nice to have a different character, uh, you know, kind of manning the store, personing the store, if you will, um, just because I don't like these episodes that, that have occurred in the past where it's like, here's Coulson at the desk, not leaving. Granted, that was to serve the story of the carving and all that. But it was just it, it was nice how they mixed up who was out in the field, where people were in this episode and uh, to get a little Hawaii in this episode. Pleasant as well. Meanwhile, back at the playground, Bakshi is being interrogated by uh, Bobby Morse, of course, um, Mockingbird. And uh, Mac and Hunter are watching, and uh, Hunter had a great line that it was nice to see someone else suffer. Um, Mac, however, was worried about Coulson's violence, the director's violence. What did you make of that, Matt? It, it would seem to be a rough spot story-wise 
uh, yeah, I mean, so much in these episodes just kind of gets left to, oh, that was last week's concern. That was last week's issue. You know, we're, we're moving forward. Um, does it suggest that that somehow that will come back to be an issue? Uh, maybe. I mean, it, it just kind of seemed out there in terms of we don't need to see characters talking to each other on screen about what happened in the past. That's just not how TV works generally. Ironically, this is an episode where the present and the past are kind of dialoguing in a somewhat similar way i cannot look it's 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 one of two things as i said it's either kind of a weakness in the story or it's an arrow pointing forward um i'm gonna i mean i hate to lean more towards a weakness but i can't imagine they're gonna do something with it in the future uh but if they do it might be courtesy of a guy who can hold a key to get to a city um so that certainly could be the case well matt look forward look forward um so with uh, Morse talking to Bakshi, uh, I love that she speaks what everyone uh, watching thinks that he's got this classic Bond villain thing going on, um, you know, and there's a tremendous amount of uh, history going on there. By the way, Pete, I don't know if you caught there's a there's a wonderful narrative flow to this uh, to this act. After the after the title card, of course, as you mentioned, Colson Hawaii, then he's on the screen to May. We then move to May, who, when she's done with her conversation with Colson, turns it off to reveal the cameras of Mockingbird interrogating Bakshi, which is also being watched by Hunter and Mac. So essentially we've kind of moved uncut. And yes, there's been, you know, actual physical cuts to the to, to the scenes, but the story has flowed through chronologically. I, this is just kind of the show. I think kind of peacocking it a bit and saying, well, look, look what we figured out we can do. We're going to have the entire ensemble presented in this episode and we're just going to have a story presented where we go boom, 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 without any uh, slowdown of narrative flow. We're just going to present everyone as they're going on at their three different spots. Uh, so really nice touch there. Speaking of peacocking that we had uh, Senator Christian Ward on the phone first, of course, with his lovely wife, Anna, and then with someone who was not Anna. <laughs> that we did. Um, I will admit to you that Christian Ward does not seem to be the most Christian man. Um, that said, I think both later in the debrief and uh, in further segments of this podcast, I suspect we will be disagreeing heavily as to uh, as to exactly how much Christian Ward has strayed from the the good narrow path well maybe you're referring to the fact that his younger brother grant then ripped him out of the car and uh asked uh hey big bro i i heard you've been looking for me <laughs> which certainly was a you know uh, a heck of a way to end that scene uh act two features uh colson's team landing on oahu in the cloaked bus as we've uh referenced earlier and Coulson has all these very specific items and people for Sky and Trip uh, to meet. But he has some important stuff for Fitz to work on. Um, he needs, if he wants him back in the field, um, and of course he says that only one hand is working, he needs him to be able to uh, do some tech work. This is how to use Clark Gregg's comic abilities 
in the best way possible. Some of those yuck yuck jokes from 201, 202, somewhere in there. It was just a bit too silly. With this, we are in, we the audience are in on the joke that most, if not all, of the orders that he's giving, as ridiculous as they sound, it's going to be some sort of, you know, you know, zip, zap, zoop combination of, you know, the this, that, the other. We just need to ha- have it filled in for us later in the episode. So we're in on the fact that it's not really a joke from Colson, but Clark Gregg giving that rapid fire, you know, go get this, go talk to this guy, go to this street, not that street. It's funny without being haha funny, or it's the show being funny without the character being funny, which I much prefer to jokey Colson. I'd much rather have jokey Clark Gregg playing, you know, Colson who doesn't know he's being silly, if you will. So I love that little kind of spy-esque joke uh, portion there. Uh, meanwhile, back at the playground, um, May and Simmons are delving further into some mysteries, and they reveal there had been a Vault B, as in boy, to go along with Vault D. Um, and there, one Vernon Reinhardt was uh, relegated. We get a flashback to 1945 and SSR base the rat <laughs> the rat <laughs> i i i found myself at this point in the episode and as the episode went on n- not quite sure how i was feeling regarding these flashbacks were they shoehorned in a bit were th- was it flawless i kind of kept going back and forth certainly at this moment it was flawless that hard interrogation is beginning it's nice to see of course you know they're saying agent carter agent peggy carter it's like Hey, I think there's going to be a show about this. We better pay attention. Um, but I thought that it was a, it was a well acted scene. And Pete, of course, what gets revealed in that scene about uh, perhaps visitors from another planet? I don't know. Well, there's reference to the star that fell from the heavens to blue aliens. Oh, oh, oh yes, yes, the 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 blue angels. <laughs> Indeed, and um, not the navy blue angels. <laughs> maybe um, the navi <laughs> um the uh the discussion there of course switches to you know they weren't here to save whitehall says they came to conquer and then continuing this really interesting narrative thing that they're doing where it's keeping the story moving in some sort of chronological order despite the fact that we have a flashback because just to rewind for a moment we've gone from uh, Colson's headquarters to let's read the file to seeing the contents of the file via flashback, then cut to the doctor saying, oh, no, no, they didn't want to conquer. The word wasn't conquer. It's they came here to end us, uh, which interesting comment, but I'm focusing for the moment on the fact that the doctor has been listening to this flashback told by Whitehall, which is also being pondered by May and uh, Simmons back at Shield HQ. So I'm cool with that. I'm down with that. Yeah, I I think this interrogation and the idea of a deal and the recruitment of scientists that we know went on during this time. You know, you mentioned the um, the Einstein idea before, and um, you know, it, it's fascinating to look in retrospect. You know, in our history and the parallel history of 
you know, these former enemy scientists, you know, coming in and working um, for other superpowers. And, um, you know, this diviner that it that it doesn't, uh, you know, it's not a weapon. It's to end mankind. It's going to choose people. Okay. Um, and this, this temple, which I think is something we're certainly going to spend some time on, uh, in the coming weeks. Um, but remember, this is all about the doctor wanting to be reunited with his loved ones in the afterlife. The, there are places that the show intentionally does not go very deep, and that's just the nature of the show being action-adventure, first of all. I mean, it is just worth mentioning that Peggy Carter almost dismissing, oh, yeah, there's those other former Nazis who happens to have built rockets that, you know, bombed Europe and killed a whole bunch of people. They're going to send us into space. You're a bad guy. It's just worth mentioning, you know, Operation Paperclip, as referenced in Captain America the Winter Soldier, totally a real thing what agent carter is saying oh nazis we're just going to sweep that under the rug because they're going to help us get to the stars and beat russia and all that that's a real thing too yeah so i mean you know i mean again we're not going to spend more time on it than that but just it is worth mentioning yeah that's a real thing and if that's a you know a, a black mark against those who are okay with nazis helping the u.s make better rockets then you know thus is the judgment of history Matt, discovery requires experimentation. So you say. And uh, our act three um, begins with the wards. And uh, Christian wants to know whether they're going to talk or if they're going camping. This scene was all about the duality of the brothers. I guess here now we can start to, to, to disagree uh, as anticipated. I felt that we saw the, the, the presentation of a stable Christian and an unstable Grant. Um, I, and that's something that I genuinely believe and I, and I genuinely am sticking with. Um, it, to me, it was just, I mean, this was just a, not just a, a condemnation, but a damnation of, of Grant as, as the villain in this situation, the villain that we have seen him be since you know the second half of the first season and and, and through this season I, I i you know i i love the actor on the show I, we are moving farther and farther away from the happy resolution of oh shucks come on back friend <laughs> or are we uh the manipulating nature of uh senator ward is laid bare here okay with the admission Albeit under duress, that um, he uh, he wanted uh, Thomas to uh, to feel the pain because he was the only one that uh, wasn't tortured uh, by their unnamed mother. And I'm gonna totally disagree. I think that under duress, he he is willing to say that he did those things in order to stop the the you know the prospective torture of being thrown down the well and probably covered up and just left to die this awful death in the dark um i do not accept his his um admission as anything other than the product of duress and just to say anything to make the 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 you know the the pain being caused by his brother grant to make that pain stop i completely reject the 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 guilt of christian ward in this episode 
aside from you know his cheating ways the the dialogue was loaded here um grant talked about how uh his family had hollowed him out and that um he took responsibility for everything he's he's done to this point um remember his promise uh, particularly to Sky, but I think it holds true elsewhere to the truth. Um, and then the well comes up. Well, well, wait, th- I mean, I mean hold, hold on just one second. I'll just repeat something I've said in previous podcasts. Just because he says he's going to tell the truth doesn't mean that that's true. Well, again, it's we're Obi-Wan Kenobiing this. This is from a certain point of view. I, I, I will agree to that point of view of a crazy man please continue so the well comes up for the third time in this series um and uh senator ward said that mom and dad buried it and grant of course explains no they just covered it up of course uh you know pregnant with the possibility there of uh, multiple meanings you know that it's all been swept under the rug what was new to me in this uh, scene, Pete, was the notion that the parents were truly awful. And perhaps that was referenced in uh, in The Well, uh, that episode from season one. But I, I kind of hadn't. It wasn't. It wasn't? Okay. Uh, the notion that, you know, mom tortured us. She left, uh, was it Thomas was the third brother? Mm-hmm. You know, left Thomas completely alone. I mean, this is kind of beyond, you know, oh, you know, dad was a jerk and made us, uh, you know, jog in the morning. This I kind of had this image of just this kind of you know awful Menendez type, you know, Menendez brother type thing that certainly made me sympathetic to what the brothers Christian and Grant grew up with. Um, but I just find, I I found that a bit shocking. It's probably one of those things where the imagination of it is worse than you know anything they could show on TV. Um, but I, I thought I thought that was from a story point of view just an interesting wrinkle in things that these troubles have been precipitated by the parents. Meanwhile, Fitz has been uh, timing himself, doing his technical work, trying to get it down under the uh, allowable uh, time that he needs. And uh, Trip just gave a button to a three hundred pound Hawaiian dude. Hey, you know what? Sometimes you have to, you know, in Hawaii, those things happen. Um, but, but it was nice to see, uh, to see Fitz kind of back in action, flying solo, albeit in this, uh, you know, in the garage in this kind of controlled uh, area. But, you know, I mean, you talk about the story football being moved forward. This is the eighth episode. We, you know, nine episodes ago, the conclusion of the season one finale, Fitz was essentially, you know, a, you know, a, a, a brain damaged mute. And here we are, he's, you know, 90% back up two more episodes. It's going to be same old fits in terms of his capacity. Um, you know, his relationships with others, including Simmons, you know, that remains to be seen, but, uh, they're, <laughs> they've made his, uh, his healing move along. Time heals all wounds, Matt. Speaking of wounds, Audrey, the cellist is brought up, uh, Colson's tie. Uh, had poi spilled on it. Uh, of course, the uh, the delicious uh, taro staple of uh, Hawaii. Um, and then another flashback here, Carter and Whitehall, no deal has been reached. 
And uh, we get a very interesting time-lapse sequence. Oh, yeah. 44 years. It was a fantastic use of effects. The sequence, they just kept spinning around and spinning around and spinning around the room. Uh, you know, and I think it almost time machine esque. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it was phenomenal, and it was the sort of thing where I think you could say, "Guys, look, we're all this time, all this money to do it. Let's just go, boom!" Forty-four years later, it's the cost of having somebody type forty-four years later and put it on screen. Right. But I mean, again, I think that this was an episode. This was a special episode in so many ways. The episode was quietly showing off its narrative abilities, its editing abilities, its effects, so on and so forth. And this is just another example of it just saying, yep, I just I just hit that home run there uh, and made 44 years go by in a really interesting and compelling way. And Pete, it concludes with something that I think was a bit of a shock, uh, at least in terms of my expectations, the notion that uh, Reinhardt slash Whitehall had aged. I I was not expecting that. I thought he was going to be this ageless wonder, not that we were going to do a let the clock run and, and bring it back, as we'll discuss in a moment. But there we go. He's an old man. It's 1989. He's old. Well, when you've been with Hydra as long as I have, you had to expect that I knew that. Uh, Undersecretary Pierce, name-checked twice, of yep. course, the character from... Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier played so excellently by Robert Redford. Some thought slumming in a Marvel movie, um, of course, has engineered uh, Dr. Uh, Ryan Wall's um, uh, not escape, but release here. Um, and these two uh, agents put him in a wheelchair and, of course, utter Hell Hydra. Well, the one does while while the other one steps away for a moment to to give us uh, that reminder that Hydra was uh, the the second agency inside the agency. Yes, they have found the woman from uh, nineteen forty five, um, and then in Austria, nineteen eighty nine, uh, he sees for himself, and he remarks, "There's so much lost time." Uh, but reference to the Asian uh, village and the elders. And here is this woman um, played by Ditchin Lackman, that uh, vet of Dollhouse, another Whedon joint. Of course, credited as young woman, but I think we can make the uh, reasonable uh logic leap that this is Skye's mother, particularly given her features. And what will uh, what will come at the conclusion of the episode. By the way, Pete, in this scene, something came uh, to literal light. Uh, though we had seen old Whitehall for, you know, I don't know, 30, 45 seconds, you know, a couple scenes since uh, the, the move forward in time occurred. Seeing him stepping into the light, seeing him... S- surrounded by these older Asian actors. Uh, and of course I refer to, you know, here in the case of Whitehall, the actor in old age makeup, really, really nice age makeup. It's oftentimes tough to, to make that happen, especially when you know what the person looks like for real, as we do since the actor has yes. been in so many episodes. It was especially, uh, especially well done again on a TV budget. It's just like, okay. I mean, look, do, do, does he look perfectly, you know, 90 years old or 80 years old? No, but it was darn, darn good. 
I like the way too that Act Four begins with you know Simmons piecing this together, the parole in 1989 of uh, Reinhardt of Whitehall and the Fountain of Youth uh, discovery after we've already seen it take place, albeit in flashback. I, I found it just a tad odd that we, the audience, were ahead of our crack investigators of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, I, I personally would have maybe preferred it if it was a bit concurrent, you know, as this is being revealed to Simmons, she's reading it and she's seeing it and we're seeing, you know, she's seeing it in her mind's eye. We're seeing it on screen, a minor quibble. Um, it, there are some things that the, that the characters do need to talk about them discovering. And this is one thing. Um, so uh, a slight difference of, uh, of narrative opinion there, Pete. Morse is still interrogating uh, Bakshi. And the notion of devotion to Whitehall, or is it fear as his motivation? Um, and Bakshi, of course, brings up Morse's actions for Hydra. And we've long speculated, Matt, that she might be a triple agent. Uh, we certainly have. I didn't pick up any whiff of that in this episode unless it was unless what we saw between the two of them in this scene is going to be referred back to in some sort of uh, flashback where we see, you know, underneath the table, she's handing him this, you know, one of those kind of, you know, reveals from a different point of view. Um, I still think it is a wonderfully viable theory. The fact that the show at least appeared to not do anything with it this episode. And given the pace that, that the show kind of likes to move in terms of, you know, end of season one, Coulson, what's he, you know, what's he scraping? And seven episodes later, we've explained it completely. Um, I think the longer that that, that, that notion of uh, Mockingbird as a triple agent, the longer that it kind of lays by the side, the less viable it is, but it remains viable nonetheless at this point. Or maybe that's not the mission. But anyway, uh, he soon, uh, decides to bang his uh, head against the table and he has activated a cyanide capsule in his cheekbone um, and he's foaming at the mouth. Yeah, kind of vaguely reminiscent of uh, the, uh, the baddie in the latest, uh, ironically, in the uh, latest James Bond uh, movie. Um, I was initially worried, like, oh no, they're actually going to kill him off. Um that that appears not to have been the case by the time the episode ends. I think to the uh, to the benefit of the show, but um, shocking nonetheless. I mean, we kind of know if you've seen you know enough spy movies, the old or heck, I mean Captain America, uh, the first Avenger, the old you know oh it's in my tooth. Um, yeah. The fact that it's in his cheek, slam, boom. Right. I, there was a violence. There was a, there was a, a grown upness to this episode. There was a nine p.m. time slot thing to this episode here and then again in a little bit where it's just like oh this is a this is this is a show for grown-ups this is not a show i mean young i'm not saying it's not for kids at all you know xxx but um this is this is a more mature show and it's kind of starting to show its uh, maturity in this episode speaking of the grown-ups matt the aforementioned wards their story at least in this episode uh, escalates when um, 
Grant is holding uh, his older brother Christian over the well, uh, and he finally admits, I did it. I threw Thomas in there. I wanted him dead. Okay. Um, and Grant comes around uh, after an apology, of course, by uh, Christian. And he said, that's all I wanted to hear. He hugs his brother and he says, it's time we went home. I was convinced during those moments of the episode, that maybe 10 second block, the hug that Ward was going to push him backward into the well and cut to this, you know, falling scene and whatnot. Um, I would argue that we, we get a similar effect to that as revealed in a bit, but, um, I was just at the edge of my seat saying they're going to push this poor guy in. And when he didn't, it just kind of added to Grant's menacing psychosis that, that uh, I am convinced is being presented. Colson and company, meanwhile, have moved from uh, Hawaii to Australia. Uh, they have delivered two parts of a Trojan horse um, that will help them gain control of technology necessary to uh, search for this unknown city that they've been looking for. Um, all because a general got too fat for his jacket. Yeah, I. it, it was nice seeing that pay off, you know, how they're going to break into the Australian back door of the Hawaiian station. You know, th this is just some of the fun of the show. We, this is an episode where we're delving into some darker things. I mean, my goodness, we're just coming off of a suicide attempt. There's you know, Nazi overtones to it. Let these guys go play spy, run around. It's <laughs> it's the zip and the zoop. And when they come together, there's the thing and the thing, you know, it's, it, this is, it, it adds to the lightness of the episode without being light itself. Um, and just, just a really nice sequence there of these spies actually being spies for once, not alien hunters, not brain scan people, not, it's just spies being spies. Oh yeah, that's what they do. And then the really confident in Coulson, Agent Triplet, takes one to the chest. It was a scene, it was a moment that I was fearing and fearing because to, to, to break the silence on it, that was your prediction. And, um, and when it, ha I mean, you could kind of sense it getting closer and closer if you were keeping an eye out for it. Um, and when it happened, I mean, I was just horrified because your prediction was trip dies at the end of the episode and at that moment in the in the story it was seeming more and more likely and of course matt it's an opportunity for a doctor to step forward somebody who's used to being covered in blood and removing bullets in kyle mclaughlin's doctor Indeed. doctor dr hey I just need to get it in the second time in order to to irritate you, Pete. Um, jokes it aside, begins though, so jarringly, Matt. Like half of our listeners right now are like, "Holy moly! Please don't play that again." And the other half are like, "Hey, it's the snowman." Um, oh, God. That said, it things are looking so dire there for uh, for trip, and then. We, of course, recognize, hey, you know, the doctor is here to help. And darn it, if they haven't gotten in Kyle McLaughlin, he, his performance has been great so far. In this scene, he's just snake-like. He is, he is a wonderful villain. And, you know, again, 
all compliments for Kyle McLaughlin here, but it's just it's 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 not quite vicious. There is a viciousness behind his eyes here, and he is just completely untrustworthy. You want to spit on the ground and he's around. <laughs> At least we do as the audience. And frankly, it only gets worse there. Um, particularly as I'm sitting there convinced that Colson will be clearly prepared to draw the line of that which is right and good. And if he needs to lose someone, he will. Um, so in this tense moment, Pete, send it back to you. I love the Act 5 uh, beginning here with Coulson putting pressure on Trip and confronting the doctor who's going to save him. Um, you know, he's got to get the bullet out. Uh, he's asking Coulson scalpel, forceps. He, he's essentially uh, nursemating him uh, through this procedure and the bullet is uh, holding the wound open, so it's got to come out. Um, and then the doctor lets it slip. He uses Coulson's first name, and that's the thing he shouldn't have said. That triggers his rage. A perfect example of you can, let, you can have an episode show the hand of the writer once per episode if it's done well. You know, how else is the scene going to go if there isn't that slip? I have no idea. It would be completely you know, useless or whatever. But just the notion, that one little slip, it's just this delicious moment where you say, oh, now things are coming to a head. You're watching the clock. Oh, my goodness. Can can Trip be resuscitated in time? So on and so forth. And I like that that the doctor is doctor enough uh, in terms of, you know, the the, the, the calling, the ethical calling they take a code, Matt. They, they indeed they oath. do. Even the rage monster ones. Um, to sit and say, okay, I got him where I need to get him now. Uh, you're going to do this, that, the other. The other guy's going to do, you know, the other three things. Um, so when I get up, you got to start to do that. Peace out, goodbye. And it's just like, what are they going to do? Go after him? He's just clearly given both of them instructions on how to work together to save Tripp's life. Out he goes. And to me, that kind of changed the doctor from a baddie to a bit more gray in terms of here he's he seemingly has been committed to saving Trip as far as he can uh, um, within his own, you know, his own mission, which we'll learn as the episode wraps up, is maybe not as evil as we think. Yes, and we definitely get fuller exposition in terms of the doctor's character but i thought a couple interesting things two very angry uh statements to colson you're not her father and that sky is not her name uh before of course uh admitting he doesn't know what the tesseract is so there's we've talked of shield and the compartmentalization the bad guys, we need to remember, don't often have all the pieces of the puzzle. And he knows some things, but not all. Um, so that was interesting. And given that the Red Skull was name-checked a couple times very early in this episode, and we got to remember, Matt, in theory, he is still floating out there. Um, that's something we can talk about in our Level 7 segment. <laughs> If only Hugo Weaving was a little bit more interested in uh, still being floating out there. But um, 
Pete, with that, we move to the uh, to the dissection of uh, the Chinese woman. And I, again, it's one of these instances, I feel like each week I'm, I'm wagging my finger seemingly at, you know, violence or language, that sort of thing. It's not something that particularly offended me. It just shocked me that how Well, this has that... been hinted at before, Matt. He talked about this with... Oh, um, absolutely. With... Um, Agent uh, 33. With flowers. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but Raina. I, with Raina. It, it, to me, it was it was done in such a vivid way where I'm like, I, you know, I've seen some ER. I've seen some Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I'm not used to seeing flesh pulled back and, you know, organs taken out. Um, I got to, Pete, and I'm not trying to take this too dark, the way that there was the long shot once once it was all done with. Um, where you kind of just you know saw her body through the through the you know the the glass viewing area. Part of me had to wonder, Pete. You know, was this done while she was still alive? I know there was reference to that, you know, in earlier episodes, um, and certainly, you know, uh, uh, no joking here. You know that 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 you know there's a Nazi connection to all of that, but that just made me feel all the more creeped out by Whitehall, and um, as I said, just kind of. Uh, a shocking little bit there for uh, network television. Well, it can't be ignored. The dialogue, really the monologue that went over the sequence of him operating on this woman days, weeks, years. Okay. Uh, talk about becoming something new, better. And he's asked, what did he take? Everything he possibly could. And we, pull back to reveal he's speaking to Grant Ward. And um, meanwhile, the news plays after, of course, Whitehall says he thinks uh, there might be a match there um, that Ward uh, may have. And again, we can't say this definitively, but this is the way that it's stated. Of course, it's news footage that Senator Ward, his mother and his father were found in their family home, burned to death. Something we know that Grant Ward has experience with before fire. Yeah, and I'm sure something that we'll uh, we'll battle a bit in level seven. Um, just wanted to mention again, we have one of these, you know, story flourishes in this episode, as you pointed out, where something is happening seemingly in standalone flashback for the purposes of we, the audience, uh, which would be just fine. But now we realize that, no, this is being told by someone to someone else. Um, again, the show is kind of taking a bit of a, a victory lap and here to, to good effect in that um, the shocking notion that Ward has made it all the way across um, enemy lines, whether it's, you know, avoiding shield, whether it's making his way, uh, up the ranks, you know, up the up the the levels of security for Hydra to end up in uh, in Whitehall's presence. With all that heaviness, Pete, we then move to love, <laughs> sweet love, Mockingbird and Hunter. I'm not going to say what I put in my notes. Let's just say enjoying their marital status, even if they are divorced. Well, the honesty between them has been such an issue, and um. To see them get together, and it was really kind of necessary from a story standpoint and from a tone standpoint to level off the darkness of of where we had been. 
there could be lengthy discussions on the, the construction of this episode and <laughs> we probably don't need that lengthy discussion but i'll just echo what you said pete these moments of lightness whether it's colson's you know yuck 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 directions whether it's this um it's really a carefully constructed episode where we go into some some dark stuff and then pull it back uh pull it back so so nicely <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna, no you're pun leave that? <laughs> sure <laughs> um <laughs> uh with that we have i thought pete colson kind of overplaying the sky's dad i'm going to reveal it to you long shot looking at you I somebody agree. else looking at you tense music we're all looking at each other what is it colson well i'm gonna look at you you're gonna look you're, at me come on for goodness like sake you saw the devil yeah the devil but i have dad issues and then boop yeah. what happens pete saved uh, by the bell <laughs> exactly <laughs> our uh our tag scene has the doctor oh wait, wait, you forgot to mention what what's the boop what's the saved by the bell oh is of course that the match is found that the city has been located and i love that it's like ba-ding, city located we'll be right back your pop tart is ready <laughs> exactly they didn't i mean look they know people are going to go screen cap it blah 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 they did not want to spend a minute of furthering that story just to say we found something goodbye well it's an episode two weeks from tonight unto itself that- really yeah needs to and it, it you want it to have that space matt when you know what i know wow. but our tag scene uh features the doctor joining whitehall and ward and uh you know now that he's freshened up um and uh um he comes to find out that ward was with colson's team in fact he explains they're like family which means a lot more given the events of this episode um, and the doctor explains it's always good to look your enemy right in the eye. We get a flashback to 25 years ago, of course, 1989, and he either said Helga or Olga. Um, forgive me, not rolling with the closed captioning live, and I would doubt they even have it accurately, but this was his love. This was apparently his wife, um, and he says, I will find him. I will do to him what he did to you i will tear him apart clearly there the uh the uh, what i would argue you know the incontrovertible implication that um you know that that's guy's mother and um just you know to pull back the curtain for you know for the production for a moment young kyle mclaughlin I was just watching that saying, is this makeup aided by CG? Is this just makeup that's, you know, hey, it happens to be nighttime, so we can kind of cheat a little bit. He looked, you know, 25 years younger. They pulled that off perfectly. He, he, is this he Dune? Like, <laughs> indeed. Am I, I mean, I don't know how Am they I did watching, that on a TV Did I budget. stumble across the the uh, Tropic uh, Sideways story in uh, – in Twin Peaks, like what? What just happened on my TV box? <laughs> but uh, I mean, kudos all around. And then just ending, surprisingly, the Doctor has been this villain, kind of ending on a note where, oh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and the guy he wants to get is Whitehall. 
Um, you might quibble and say, well, if he wants to kill Whitehall so bad, you know, take out your gun right now and shoot him. Um, probably he has a little bit of a uh, little bit of a sense of self-preservation there, but uh, quite the end to the episode, Pete. Indeed. All right, a detailed look at our bad guys here. We got to begin, Matt, with Daniel Whitehall or Dr. Reinhardt, I presume. Indeed. I mean, there is no question to his objective badness, his objective evil in this episode, uh, whether it's his associations with the Nazis, with Hydra, um, gleeful killing of people in the first act, and... Um, you know, just butchery in the middle of the episode and then dumping her body, you know, off at some at some spot at the end of the episode. Um, all the while, you know, being able to uh, have the benefit of, you know, the anti-aging serum or whatever. Um, I mean, my goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness he is performed by such a great actor that it, uh, makes it so easy for us to hate him. The character, not the actor. I'm sure the actor is a lovely guy. Reed Diamond has done a lovely job with this character. I really don't think we can say enough about this performance. Um, and now, Matt, you know what I've known in that uh, he did age, that he wasn't this ageless wonder all along. My question for you, does that soften the character? Um... I mean, I think perhaps in a small way it does, just because not for nothing, the end will come to us all, and the ability to forestall that, you know, sounds nice when you're close to the end, as opposed to, you know, oh, I'm Wolverine, I never die, um, which kind of has a certain infinity to it. Um, that said, I mean, here's a flip side argument. Father Time almost got this bad, bad man back in, you know, 89 or 90 or whenever his natural life would have come to a conclusion um the fact that that has been now reset uh you know 70 years does seem a tad cruel the losing of the accent i think is an interesting choice hmm. um would you put that more on whatever otherworldly stuff's going through his veins or was that angloization I think that its origins are for story purposes. You want to present him in the beginning of the season premiere as, oh, he's another one of those, you know, German Hydra Nazi guys. Uh, hey, look, uh, don't worry about him. It's Agent Carter. Then at the end of the episode, hey, it's that guy with the round glasses again. But now he's, you know, he talks like one of us. What has happened? I think it's, you know, the glasses were the connective tissue in that episode to make you clear that it's the same guy but you need to show that he's the a different guy somehow um i'll tell you this and i'm no german speaker but his german accent is so good that when we would suddenly snap back to the present it would be like oh wow that man that german man does a nice american accent it's like no no no, he's an american guy doing a german accent um so yeah i would say it's i would say it's a story function just to help us clear help us be clear as to which time period we are in. Bakshi's back. All right. All right. Um, 
I, I, I was happy to have him back. Um, he's a really compelling character. He's really fun to watch on screen. Um, and I'm glad that next next episode, I was going to say next week, darn the ABC. Um, it's nice that he'll be back next week, too, because, you know, oh, we've stabilized him. Okay, that's all we need to know he's not dead. You can bring him back and, oh, his throat is all scratchy or, you know, whatever. But as long as the actor's around, I mean, this is such a rich episode with so many you know, cast members, recurring character actors, you know, guests, uh, guest actor characters, blah, blah, blah. Keep Bakshi around, man. Keep Bakshi back in the box. Some real hints at his Bakshi story. Um, he grew up on the street. Uh, Morse has determined the accent is fake. Um, and he may have crossed Whitehall at some point. Um one of the compelling things for me about this world is that the villains don't get along and, you know, join up in, um, you know, resolution of these larger plots. So there's the scheming and everything there, as we clearly see with the doctor and, and Whitehall, but that Bakshi's got a story to tell. Um, from early in the season be, being wild delivered well, being really kind of one note to where he is now. He's he's a multi-dimensional character, and I enjoy that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, it's kind of one of these situations where it's like, where has this guy been? Fine. He was in Quantum of Solace in some smaller role, you know, however long ago that was, six, eight years ago. Why has this guy not been in american tv more why has he not been in high profile british tv that kind of makes its way here he's fantastic he really really is how about christian ward matt in our dossier tonight not on my dossier unless we're now including you know uh men with wandering eyes and you know a wife and a girlfriend if so you know that's that's rather uncompelling for a spy show i dare say Christian Ward, not on my list. Pete is next on the list, of course. I'm sure we will agree. It is, of course, Grant Ward. No discussion. Go. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's let's back up here. We we can't ignore this stuff with the brother, and I really do think we're gonna see Thomas Ward at some point, um, and and get that angle of this Ward family tragedy. This is a full on greek situation at this point i think that that is a very uh, fair story prediction that you know there's the three brothers they've now you know we the one obviously main character you know the, the other two referenced now we've seen uh christian yeah i would agree surely thomas ward is uh is going to appear i guess as the story calls for it um though i would argue that uh you know for my money christian ward's story has come to an end uh, as well as those of his parents. Uh, though I guess we could discuss that more in the next segment. We will. And then, uh, of course, the doctor, Matt. I don't know if he winds up fully in our dossier here, given that what we know at the end, uh, everything he's done is in service of trying to get his family back together, albeit in a distorted idea in the afterlife. Yeah, I think that 
it's ironic that we've been saying, oh, he's a rage monster. It's like he's a Hulk. You know, he's not the Hulk. Ha ha ha. He is very similar, I think, to the Hulk in that he does these things out of anger and out of lack of control. You know, no one says, oh, man, Hulk, you knocked down that library. You're a bad guy. You say, oh, this is Bruce Banner who is who is victim to his rage, who is victim to his emotions. Um, I think that, too, is the case with the doctor. A- again, as you say, it's it's not entirely emotional. It's warped. It's, you know, it, it's this warped perspective. But um, he is a much more compelling bad guy as he sits there holding the the the, the mutilated body of his his love, his wife, whatever the, the exact designation is. Um, I mean, that, he is now completely sympathetic as somebody who we have seen kill people on screen, you know, and somebody who is in opposition to our heroes. He's also completely sympathetic. That is a wonderful story direction that the show is going in. That's it for my dossier, Matt. I mean, well, I mean, did you want to talk more about Grant Ward there? I mean, you know, I think that's a level seven discussion. Fair enough. Well, speaking of that, Pete. Welcome to level seven. So, boom, let's let's, you know, get it right on the uh, the agenda right now. Grant well, Ward. Well, before we get to Grant Ward, let's uh, analyze and theorize um, this special place the diviner uh choosing people is this city uh an actual locale or perhaps is it inside of the diviner that is a really nice theory that uh that you that you texted me during the episode and i was all on board that is until there was a little bleep bloop to say the city has been found in what appeared to be some sort of Google Maps type thing. Um, that said, it would be really fun if they're like, oh, it's been found. Where is it? It's on the side of this bottle city that Superman has in the, you know, in the uh, the Fortress of Solitude. Which, of course, you know, Superman has a miniature cryptonic city uh, in the Fortress of Solitude. Point being, it would be fun if it's like, oh man, but this is showing us some postage stamp sized thing, or this is showing us the picture of the diviner that was taken, you know, as the satellite went over. I don't think that's where they're headed, though. I think they are headed to G Wiz. It's at some latitude and longitude type place, um, if only just this little this little snippet. And um, I kind of feel like in two weeks it's going to be Indiana Jones style hacking through the vines looking through stuff and say oh here's the entrance to you know to the fabled city there's repeated reference to a temple that uh we could look at it a variety of ways that could be an actual locale or the the temple of the body we've seen how this diviner can uh (laughs) if not destroy the temple of the body preserve it so I think that's intentional language at this point. Perhaps a temple of doom. <laughs> Still the best. <laughs> um, the Red Skull connection. And Matt, you alluded to uh, the wonderful Hugo Weaving, uh, who, of course, 
did not enjoy his Marvel cinematic experience and has made no bones that despite a multi-picture contract uh, will not appear again as the Red Skull. Uh, last scene um, transported to who knows where um, and a Whitehall Red Skull connection was forged in this episode. I would not, let me put it this way. If the, if the story calls for it, and the higher-ups at Marvel approve it, could you simply recast because, oh, man, Red Skull got his face smashed even more? Or, quite frankly, get a guy who can do a Hugo Weaving impression, Yeah. stick any old Joe on the inside of the mask, on the outside of the mask, make it look like Hugo, Weav- Hugo Weaving wearing a Red Skull mask. Now, look, you're at that point getting into dangerously close territory to the whole lawsuit with Back to the Future 2 about when you use actors that look like other actors and people think the original guy is in it. I don't know. Maybe you just avoid all that entirely because Hugo Weaving, you know, I guess was probably upset that he wasn't offered a trilogy, uh, you know, uh, right at the bat. Like he, like his, all his previous movies since, you know, 1999, they're only trilogies. Um, I would bet you don't see Red Skull. I feel like the, as much crossover as there is between the movies and the TV shows, uh, plural, now that we're, you know, essentially previewing Agent Carter in this episode and did at the, uh, at the top of the season. Um, there still is that line. I don't think we're going to see, you know, the, the Hulk buster Iron Man show up in this season, that kind of thing. And I think to have the baddie from, from one of your, one of your movies to show up in this, I would bet against it. Oh, I don't think we're we're going to get him to show up. I just think that <clears throat> we're not done with uh, the Red Skull cinematically. Um, he's too important of a of a villain in this pantheon, and you know now that we're into otherworldly locations, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, moving down the road towards Inhumans. Uh, I just think it's it's bound to show up. Um, but I dig that, uh, you know, we're getting into this further galactic idea. Pete, here's a level seven question for you. We of course know that sky's real name is Mary Sue Poots, but given that she is was, it? well, that's, is that's, it? Is that's it? my question. That's what is not her name. What is sky's real, real name? And is that going to be some kind of a thing? Just beyond, you know, oh, your real name is Susan, you know, it, it, which would be an emotional moment. Um, is it going to be, I don't know, played for higher? Like, oh, you're named after your mother. Or is it going to be, oh, your name is actually uh, named for those blue angels who came down. And that's the key code to get into the city. I, you know, I don't know how far they would want to take it out. But are we going to do something with Sky's real, real name? Gun to my spoiler head, Matt. Sure. Sky's real name is. Wow, Pete, that is a game changer. That that frankly brings not only these first two seasons of Agents of Shield into crisp focus, but also Agent Carter, Daredevil, the other uh, Netflix shows, and the entire first ten movies of the MCU. Who knew? That one little name could do that much. That's fantastic, Pete. I totally am on board with that. Blue Angels. It would be 
easy to just assume we are talking about the Kree. We know, of course, there are other blue beings in the uh, Marvel comic universe. Um, what was your feeling on those? Certainly the hot theory in the last week is that um, Atlanteans and the Inhumans and all of that are, are where this is all headed, uh, where this is all headed. Um, I can't speak very much, you know, because I'm anti-spoiler. I haven't done much research on the Inhumans and that sort of thing uh, in an attempt to to not be spoiled. Uh, but I think it's a, you know, at least my my initial understanding. I think it's a safe bet, indeed, that that's where we're headed, and that the uh, the Cree stuff, the Cree feety, was a little bit of a misdirect, and it might be uh, Inhuman feety instead. <laughs> that. Sounds really bad. <laughs> um, the the idea that saviors came to conquer, of course, being an, an ominous notion. Um, all right, Matt, let's get down to it here. Uh, Grant Ward, uh, you, of course, feel uh, adamantly that he has murdered his brother, Senator Christian Ward, and his unnamed mother and father in their ancestral home. Why? I think that this episode pre- presents a definitive uh, view of Grant Ward being psych- psychologically unstable, being psychotic. And I don't take Christian Ward's confession for, you know, as to be worth anything, as you mentioned before, under duration and uh, under duress and completely unreliable. And thus, if that's the one thing that that you or, you know, you or anyone will hang their hat on in terms of uh, Grant Ward, you know, uh, not being the villain here, it's unreliable. Um, we see him acting in a bloodthirsty way in this episode, in episodes previous and so forth. And to, to me, he's just bending his the world around his view, not vice versa. And um, I completely buy the fact down to, you know, oh, the, the taped confession of the brother are the things that we heard said to Ward. We saw, you know, said to Grant Ward um, in what I thought was a nice story moment because they're not pushing it on us to like, oh, Grant was there with the tape recorder. You know, they just kind of let that let that play. And I mean, to me, he's he is a monster and he's uh, aligned himself with monsters and uh, no good can come of that for him. I think Ward is not coming home. I'm coming home. I'm coming Matt, I, of course, have been uh, outspoken in my defense of uh, Grant Ward and the wonderful work that uh, Brett Dalton has done in this role. Let's remember what took place here. We saw a clip of your liberal news media reporting that their bodies had been found burned in a fire. Are we going to suppose for a second that that's been confirmed and authenticated, especially by Hydra, and um, that he hasn't stashed uh, Christian 
possibly as another present to send to Colson someplace. And is this him ingratiating himself with Whitehall and Hydra to get what he wants to get at the doctor for sky? I think that that is all possible and it all makes story sense. I think that we just need to keep in mind the pace that this show is moving at. This is not some, you know, oh man, what is the Dharma initiative? A pace that did not bother me for Lost, I might add. But that's not the pace of this show. We have Coulson's mysterious brain signals lasted six episodes and were explained in a explained fully and concluded in a seventh episode wow you know while other plot is going on and while that was at the periphery i'm going with the opinion that while that's a you know as i said a perfectly interesting and wonderful theory and it makes sense i think that the show just wanted to get grant ward into the bosom of the bad guys and now that they've done that the need for the brother as a as a story agent of tension you know which side is he on this and that the other i think that's just done with i think we're going to say oh wow the brother was you know referenced in you know or, or or pardon me um the general's senator who's you know got deep pockets was referenced early on we met him we dealt with him now he's dead the end moving on that's rum uh, that's rum betting well, we, of course, will have to agree to disagree, especially when I know what I do. Hail Hydra. <laughs> Matt, our mailbag is something that we now open on a more infrequent basis to get at uh, emails and uh, tweets and things like that. But I'll tell you where and how you can hear your words on the podcast. We love your iTunes reviews. The feedback is taken to heart and is uh, valuable and meaningful. So please search Fantastic Geek on iTunes and leave us your review. Indeed. Indeed, we. It's so great seeing those uh, the those people's words there. It's a great way to kind of share it with everyone. And um, you know, that said, don't be uh, you know don't be shy from sharing uh, your thoughts in other ways. I'm sure we will we will be doing a mailbag episode or a mailbag segment before too long, and um, you know, kind of bring those words into it. Pete, speaking of words, people like sharing them with you. On the Twitter. How can they do that? You can Flawless find segue. Me. What's that? Flawless segue. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on the Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 4,553 followers. Can't be wrong. Yowza, yowza, yowza. While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can say hello to the podcast a bunch of different ways. You can go to Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH. Uh, at the dot com, the Gmail, and the Twitter. Breaking news, Pete. The Fantastic Geek Twitter has passed tonight 2,000 people. So thank you, one and all. Hello, new people. Welcome back, longtime uh, Twitter folk. And, uh, 
it's great to be uh, joining everyone in the conversation about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Pete, of course, though, conversations must come to an end. I will say to all our listeners in my best attempt at Mandarin, Zaijian, and give you the final word. What's wrong? You're twirling. Thank you.